Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm a senior pastor. And on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, we're so glad that you're with us, especially if you're watching with us online for maybe the very first time or, or you're in here for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, I always welcome our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Uh, here's why, as I know, when you come to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my hope is that you would come back a few times. Hey, maybe check us out a few times online, and we would love to be your spiritual family. If you are watching online, I want to give you a few just maybe uh, helpful tips on how you can engage better with us. We'd love for you to like, comment, or share on our social media feeds and just help us kind of get through some of those algorithms. Believe it or not, just maybe even liking it or sharing or putting a comment will actually help the message of Jesus get out better. And so we'd love for you to do that. It'd be awesome. Before I get started today, I just wanted to say how proud I was uh, as your pastor because so many of you took the challenge to do the Rise date night. If y'all did that, raise your hand. If y'all went on a Rise date night, awesome. And uh, you're online, you're like, I did too. And so uh, put your hand, put the emoji hand like where the person left, you know, they do that. And uh, let us know uh, how much you liked it. And uh, I wanted to show some pictures of just, because I'm just like, I'm like a proud pop. I'm like, y'all are awesome. So like, let me show you all these kind of cool pictures that we did. Like we had so many people just kind of putting up uh, just where they they were and taking little date night photos. I had people commenting and sending me text messages and just different people doing great date night. Some of them you did with your family and that's that's cool too. You guys were able to get out. Uh, some of y'all did some group dates like uh, that's my parents on the bottom in the center there uh, and you got some like guys went on like guy date night weekends. I'm like that's interesting. All right y'all do that and uh, and so we had movie nights. Come on we all did look at that's an interesting picture right in the middle of eating and then you got just people and uh, just, just it was so cool just to celebrate. And so here, I want you to know, like, I know it seems little, but it means a lot. I know it seems little, but it means a lot. And my encouragement to you would maybe just continue to do that. Continue to date your spouse. Continue to date well. If you're, insane, if you're a single person, date, date well. Like, come on, like, you can do things um, not so good, and you can do things good. And, and, and my encouragement to you is just keep dating uh, and keep uh, loving each other. And so we are wrapping up a series today called Relationship Goals. And we've been in the middle of a series talking about this idea that we want to have some godly goals so that we can have some godly results. Come on, somebody, right? Like, it's so easy. I don't know if you know this, but like, man, it's so easy for me to have goals that I didn't even know I had because someone told me online, right, that that's the goal I should have with my, my spouse. Or maybe even I saw a, a TV show or, or a movie. How many of y'all, it's, it's, shocking how much you were you are cultivated and curated by the stuff you watch when you're a little kid. And if you don't believe me, you need to go back and watch some of those nostalgic shows like uh, some of the, you know, like I, I, I just, my wife and I, we've been going through um, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and like I grew up on that show and I'm like, I'm telling you half my jokes, I'm te- half of who I am, I am like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I'm Will Smith. And so um, at least that's what I think. And so in my mind, but, like, we get these goals in our hearts of what we should be from the culture. And, man, it's just not healthy because, really, they, they're, most of what they're trying to teach us is, is opposite of the Bible. And then we get the results of opposite of the Bible, and we, we don't want that. You want to live a great life and have a great relationship. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some relationship goals. Number one, Christ-centered. Everybody say Christ-centered. And we want to have God at the center of our relationship. But then we don't want to stop there. It's like giving your life to Jesus and then just being like, okay, I'm good. We, we, want, to, we want to make sure God's at the center of our relationship. But then we want to, we talked about last week, we want to be mission driven. Everybody say mission driven. So like our relationships need to be driven around the mission of Christ and that you and I not only need to invite God into our relationship, we need to now move because of that relationship with God, we need to move out and do something with it. And then we need to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus in a way that makes sense to our relationship. My wife and I planted a church to be mission driven. That's not necessarily your step. 
you got to find your step and how you do that. And so last week we talked about it. Please go check out our YouTube page or Facebook. But um, this week we're going to talk about, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up with this idea of what's called covenant keeping. Everybody say covenant keeping. And the reason we want to talk about that is because I know this. When you stood on an altar and you grabbed the hand of the woman that you were going to marry and she was so good looking. And then you looked at the man that you were going to marry and he was, man, his teeth was brushed and his hair were combed. Come on, he looked good. And you looked at each other. You did not say, you, you did not say till uh, frustration do us part. Right? You sell till death. And I've just noticed that you, death is a long way away, man. That's forever, right? There's a foreverness to the, the marriage that we get into. But like none of us start off with thinking this is only going to last for a little bit. And, and we, we got to have godly goals to be covenant keeping so that we, we make it that that far. And, and what's funny, if, if I read the Bible, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 19 in just a moment. If, if you have, you can do it on version Bible app, or uh, we'll put it up on the screens here in just a second. But the debate about whether or not marriage should last forever has been a debate since the beginning of time. And it was around during, uh, you know, the, the, the days of, of Moses and children of Israel. It's around, it was around during the time of Jesus, and it's around now. And Jesus spoke into the idea of foreverness in marriage. And you see this in Matthew chapter 19. And I would like you just to consider today this scripture, these verses. Love for you to be maybe open-minded to this idea. Because if you're, if you're in here and you're single, you need to have an idea of what you're going to get yourself into if you're going to get married. If you're married right now, you need to have an idea of what it means to stay married to the person that you got married to. And for some of you, you're like looking for a reason, right, to cut it off. Some of you are looking for a reason to keep it going, and that's not the same thing. And, and then some of you might have gone through a marriage, and you, you, it didn't go the way that you had planned, and maybe you're in a new marriage now, or maybe you, you're looking to get married. You need to know, like, what was God's original design? What was his intent? Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has this discussion with, two, uh, with some people, and at, during the time, you need to understand context, okay? So, like, sometimes when you read the Bible, if you just read a verse, and you don't know what's going on, you can get, like, really messed up, Okay? And so this is a time where, where, where there were, um, at the time, two major rabbis that were teaching in Jesus' day. One was uh, called uh, Halil and one was Shammai. They each had a different, um, what they called yoke, or um, yoke was authority on the, the, what they called the Torah. So the Torah was the first five books of the Bible, or the Old Testament, or, you know, our Bible is right now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or not Matthew, Mark, what am I talking about? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they, they had the first five books of the Torah. And they, 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 they had interpretations like we have interpretations today. They would read it. And because they were rabbis, they had their own authority and yoke to speak to what it meant to them in the real day. So that we would use them to, to kind of have that thing. And they had a debate. Each of them had a different interpretation when it came to divorce. One had an incredibly liberal idea of divorce. Hillel had like an idea of like, um, you can get divorced for just about anything if she burns the toast. Seriously. Like, it was like, if you just got frustrated with her one day, just it's time for her to move on. If he didn't come home at the time he told you he was going to come home, come on. Like, and some of y'all are like, I like that interpretation. Like, y'all know who I'm married to. Hillel, you're my dude, you know? You get like one of those t-shirts. I'm with Hillel. Like, that's who you like. And, and Shammai was a little more dogmatic about it. He said the only way that you can divorce someone is if they have a sexual immorality, a sexual problem. Maybe they cheat on you or something like that. So he had a different interpretation of it. And so they're debating in the middle of Jesus. And then they asked Jesus what his interpretation of it was so that he could settle it. Which, by the way, you need to know this. Jesus was a rabbi. 
So I know there's like a thing like, well, Jesus was a construction worker. No, he wasn't. Okay. His dad was a con- his dad was in construction. His dad was a construction worker. He obviously knew construction by growing up with him. But you need to know this. Biblical scholars will tell you he went through rabbi school. He he became a legitimate rabbi of the day. So he had his own yoke. So they asked him not because he was Jesus. They asked him because the, the, the Jesus we know, they asked him because he was a rabbi who had the ability to speak into it under his. You know why he always said, like, take my yoke. It's easy. Do you know yoke? That means authority. So he said, instead of reading the Torah and the Bible in a way that makes people feel like they are burdened, read the Bible and interpret it the way I'm interpreting so you can feel light. What we call a life-giving church when you walk out of the church. Come on. That's what we're trying to be. And so he, he says this like in a way to like, you need to take my yoke. And this is his yoke. He says it in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. And he says, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Again, the debate rages on. Why, why should this thing last forever? Are you sure, Jesus? Was God, what was God's intent? What was his intent for marriage? Jesus answered, have you not read? So he now quotes the Bible. That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And said, therefore, men shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what you put together, it's like hard to take apart. Because it's a spiritual thing. And he says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, they said to them, why didn't didn't Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're trying to catch him, which they always try to catch Jesus, you know. In verse 8, he says, and he said to them, because your hardness of heart, Moses, allows, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, this isn't, okay, this is important, okay. From the beginning, it was not so. That's an important sentence. Okay. Because it's complicated. Jesus walks out the tension that we all have to walk out. And if you're dogmatic and religious and legalistic, this sentence won't make any sense to you. Because to you, the Bible is black and white. And there are some parts that it's super clear. But if you read the whole Bible, sometimes it can sound kind of odd. It sounds like it doesn't make sense. It sounds like, how can the idea, Jesus was literally teaching it. He's saying, there's this idea of like God designed marriage to be forever the ideal. Everybody say ideal. He designed it to be ideal forever. Yes, correct. Divorce was not God's plan. Then you have the real that he highlights for us, which is now like, okay, so this was God's plan for it to last forever in the marriage that you got into. Then you entered into reality and stuff happened and sin happened and pride happened and ugliness happened and Satan came in and there was all these weird things that happened. And then you, you might have gotten a divorce and now God's grace covers it. So he's like this idea that you have the law and then you have grace and people don't like that. Have you noticed? It's uglier and it's messier. And now I have to really love you and I have to really walk through these things because it's easier for me to say the Bible said so. You're wrong. than it is for me to go. Yeah. I just want to I should cry with you right now for your hurt and your pain. I'm how the Bible says it. But there's grace. So there's ideal and there's real. And which so which one's right? Come on. That's the debate. That's what they asked Jesus. And Jesus has turned around and said, but there's the ideal 
and then there's real. And, and what you and I have to get to the core of ourselves as Christians, okay? Like, I'm telling you, like, if you're not a Christian in here, you're going to love this idea. Like, we don't have it all figured out. We don't. And you got to be honest with yourself with that. That there are going to be times in your life where God points always us to the ideal, but has this idea of real. That's okay. Uh, if, you're, if you're divorced in here, you're not, you're not stained, Like you just, it's okay. Like, was that God's plan for you? No, but, but it happened. And that's where God's grace comes in. Okay. So if you're religious in here, you're, mm, don't give them a way out, pastor. I'm not giving them a way out. God's ideal was that you would last forever. We just read it. But then he says, but then there's grace that Moses had some weird divine idea about because he kind of saw God. Maybe he understood that, man, there's this incredible way to live. And then like, but when we don't measure up, God's grace comes in and, and helps, us, helps us through it. So, so today, I thought maybe we'd talk about this idea of covenant keeping, that if God's idea was for us to last forever, how do we do that? Okay, I want to talk about that in the time we have left. Let's pray. Father, I love you, God, and I know that today you want to speak to us and stretch us and grow us and help us understand your word, but more importantly, understand who you are, because you are beautiful, and you are the one who created covenant, and I pray that we would see you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. As you can see... Before you, I've been told multiple times that I look like an elite athlete. I mean, it just is what it is. Thank you, honey. I love you. Thank you. I've been told multiple times throughout my life, Aaron, you should be a professional athlete. And I said, it's all good. I'm not called to that. I'm called to preach the word. I'm called to, you know, be a pastor. And uh, I'm teasing. Okay. But like... All my life, I wanted to learn sports and all sports. I loved sports, and and uh, because I was uh, just naturally gifted as an as an extreme elite athlete, I did what the most extreme elite athletes did in college. I joined the golf team, <laughs> and when I joined the golf team, I realized that you you needed to know something about golf to, in order to play golf right. Come on, guys, ladies, y'all. If any, Has anybody ever played golf in here? You know what I'm talking about? What's interesting about golf, golf's unique because it does not matter. That little white ball that you have to hit with the big club, it does not matter how hard you try. It doesn't care. It's neutral, right? The ball's neutral. It'll go as far as you strategically hit it Every time you walk up to it, I didn't know that when I first learned how to play golf. When I first learned how to play golf, I got a golf coach. I got a golf kind of trainer. I said, I want you to teach me how to play because I want to know how to play golf. He says, all right. So we had our first lesson. I come up. And he goes, all right, listen, I just want to see you hit a ball. We're going to start from the baseline. I said, okay, no problem. Show you about, you're about, to, you're about to see something right now. I told him. I said, you're about to get your phone out. Get ready. You better record this. You're going to, you're going to call your friends. And you're going to tell him, I have found the next Tiger Woods. Like, you, I found him. He's right here. You need to come watch this. I walked up, and I'm telling you, I did the best Happy Gilmore impression that you could ever think of. And I just took it, and I swung as hard as I could. And I'm telling you, if, I'm just, it was a mate. The ball, like, bounced and, like, tra traveled, like, four or five feet, you know what I mean, in front of me. It did not go very far. And I, 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 he, said, he said, okay, 
walk up and hit it again. So I'm not kidding you. He says, walk up and hit it again. So I walk up. I pulled my, my, my club all the way back as far as I could. And he said, stop. And I said, I'm about to hit this ball. You're about to be impressed. He said, hold on. You started it all wrong. I said, started it all wrong. Let me just tell you. So I'm trying to tell. Now I'm telling my golf coach, who's I've never played golf in my life. I'm telling the golf coach what I'm going to be doing. Right? And that what we do with God a little bit. Can we be honest? Like God created mankind. He tells us something to do in His Word, and then we kind of convince Him. We're trying to convince Him we know better. That's I just that ain't even in my notes. Be careful. So like I. I go out and I'm like, no, you got to understand. And I told him this. I said, if I just swing as hard as I can, if I hit that ball really, really hard, it'll go really, really far. He goes, that's not true. He goes, that's not true. I go, I know. I've seen it on the PGA Tour. I watched it with my eyes on TV. I know how it works. Those guys walk up and they swing really, really hard and it goes really, really far. He goes, no, you're, you missed all of it. He said, he said, because here's why you're not going to hit it far and why you didn't hit it far before. He goes, your approach was all wrong. And I said, what does that even mean, my approach? He goes, you have an approach to the, to the, to the golf ball. Golfers, y'all know what I'm talking about. There's an approach when you walk up. And he said, he said this. He said, your approach, this is so good. Your approach to the ball determines its potential. He said, your approach, how you just get set. Come on, golfers, y'all know. If you don't get set... And get your elbow right and walk up and make sure the distance to the ball is correct. And there's geometry, y'all, in golf I didn't even know. And it was like less about how hard I swung and more about how strategic I was in my approach. And some of us, when our marriages come to these moments, you, you, you think, just try harder. You, you've been swinging a whole lot and the Come on, if we're honest, some of us, we have some marriages, maybe online, maybe in here right now. If we're honest with ourselves, man, we swing really, really hard, but the ball don't go very far. And, and my, my, I want to maybe submit to you, maybe for your consideration today, to, to, to maybe look at it not to swing hard, but to, to check your approach. Because your approach to marriage determines its potential. There, and I've noticed with the culture, there's three kind of generalized approaches. Can I give them to you real quick? First one is this, is the casual approach. This is a funny way to do it. Because, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a pastor. I've seen people. We get married all the time. And there's the casual marriage people out there. This is a marriage, which is an agreement in pencil. It's, it's, it, the motivation is, a, is agreement and harmony. As long as things are going good, we're good. But then as soon as things go bad, we are bad. And it's really characterized by feelings, Right? You've seen these people. They're not you. They're other people in other churches. But I, I'm like when you feel good, marriage is good. And when you feel bad, marriage is bad. You don't really value marriage. Honestly, you value harmony. And because you don't value marriage, marriage doesn't bring you value. Second approach is more of a it's a little stronger. It's a little more you know, it's a little more serious. This is a contractual approach. And a lot of people like this approach because this is marriage, which is a contract in pen. And the reason it's like that is because you enter into the marriage um, uh, relationship thinking, I'm going to take care of me. You're going to take care of you. And it's two people doing married things with a contract protecting their own self-interest. And that's what the motivation is. It's, it's self-interest. It's mistrust. I don't trust you. Why do you have contracts anyway? It's so that you don't get, come on, you don't get pulled raked over the coals. You want to make sure you're taken care of. And so when you enter into that contract 
like that, it's characterized primarily by rights. You walk into the marriage saying, I have a right to things in this. The problem is you can rip up a contract. problem is, is that when you, I've just noticed in my marriage, the more it's about me, the more frustrated I get. Third approach, covenant. This is God's way, which by the way, contract approach is always driven by entitlement. You deserve something. Covenant approach is marriage is a covenant in blood. This is marriage classified by two people who live together. They do married things with no, everybody say no, no self-interest. Their motivation is sacrifice and service, and it's characterized not by rights, but by responsibilities. And they walk in, and God designed your marriage to be characterized by covenant, which because it's always been about covenant, there's always a shedding of blood, which, by the way, that's how we have covenant with God, that Jesus' blood was shed for us. You can't rip up that. Because you, you can't even write it down. It wasn't your, you didn't use your pen. God used his blood. So it's designed forever. And when we look at it as a covenant, you think of it differently. It's characterized by responsibility. So I wanted to do in the last way, uh, last few moments I have with you, maybe give you a, a few ways to think covenant in your life. It's found, a great verse, it's found in Hosea chapter number two. Hosea chapter number two. Hosea is a unique book in the Bible. It's an Old Testament book. It's a prophet. Hosea was a prophet for God. And there's an interesting story in the beginning of the book. Now, most scholars debate whether or not this is an allegory or God's trying to show us something prophetically for the children of Israel. But at this time, the children of Israel had turned their backs on God. God. So God had made a covenant with them. Think about this. Back when Moses and, and took the children of Israel out of Egypt, he made a covenant with them, said, I'm going to be your people. You're going to be my God. He makes a covenant with them. He has a marriage. The Bible talks about it regularly, that God is pursuing his people like, like a husband pursues his wife. So he has this moment in the middle of Hosea. Hosea has a wife. Her, his name, her name is Gomer. And Gomer, they tell the story that Gomer goes and leaves Hosea and goes and cheats on him with many prostitutes and and the Bible says that God asked Hosea to go after his wife, bring her back to him and renew and reestablish covenant with her in a prophetic way. This is a prophetic talk and a prophetic vision of God pursuing the children of Israel who have turned their back on God and given up their covenant with him for things that are false gods. You see it? It's different, right? So, so Hosea, you can't just read the Bible. You got to read it and then understand what's going on. So Hosea is, is being asked to do that. And then Hosea chapter number two, God uses spiritual language because the Bible talks about marriage in a spiritual way. It's spiritual. You think it's physical. You thought you were just standing in front of the justice of the peace. You thought you were standing in front of a pastor with all your friends. You thought it was about just getting your hair did and wearing a nice dress. It wasn't. It was spiritual in nature, and God put spiritual people together to do spiritual things, and he used spiritual language, and you and I need to have a spiritual idea in order for us to keep covenant. Hosea chapter 2, with that backdrop, he says, I will betroth you. I'm going to marry you to me. What's that word? Everybody say it on three. One, two, three. Forever. Yeah. He said, not for a little bit, not until you're tired of me, not until you get frustrated, not until you're upset, not until you just had enough. No, Forever. The Hebrew word there, forever, it means forever. 
It's deep. I'm deep. He says, yes, I'll betroth you. He goes, here's how I'm going to do it. In righteousness, justice, loving kindness, mercy, marry you, and faithfulness. Five things, and you shall know the Lord. Five things on how to keep covenant. If you're taking notes, first one is this, righteousness. This is the ability to ask for forgiveness. You know how you become righteous in the eyes of God? You and I sit, and we, we stop what we're doing, the sinful behavior. We ask God for forgiveness. He forgives us, and then we live out of that forgiveness. Our right standing, righteousness in the Bible means right standing with God. Our right standing comes from our ability to ask for forgiveness. So for you to have right standing with your spouse, your woman, your man, like you got to be able to ask for forgiveness. There's this funny story, kind of novel slash film. It was called Love Story, and there's a famous quote inside of it. I'm, some of y'all remember and seeing it. it says, love means never saying you're sorry. You remember that? I don't know if anybody remembers that. I had that burned in my brain for some reason. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. (laughs) Again, talk about culture telling you things that you're like, oh, that sounds really good. Because that's what that means. And like when you just love somebody, you don't have to say you're sorry. They just know. (laughs) It's like obviously some 20-something who never been married, right? Like they don't know. You ain't ain't never had nobody yell at you, threaten you with a pot and pan. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) First John says, if we confess our sins, confess, confess, confess. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Confess, confess. We need to have regular confession with our spouse. Like sometimes, I'm just going to be honest. Like sometimes I wake up every day in the morning, babe, I'm sorry. Are we, she's like, for what? I don't even know. I'm just telling you right now, like for what I did before, who I am right now, and for what I'm doing in the future, I, I'm just sorry. Will you forgive me? Because at some point, if you don't learn how to be righteous and ask for forgiveness, you might have an an, an issue with pride. You need to say it often and say it sincerely. Number two is justice, uh, an ability to walk with integrity. This is uh, the the word justice there actually means more about integrity than anything. And it means I will always do the right thing concerning you regardless of the circumstance. Integrity is living a life that is genuine to you regardless of what's happening around you. And if somebody is watching. I read a story about one time this guy was um, cleaning his backyard with his son, and he was cleaning the backyard, and he found a snake, and the snake bit his hand. He picked up the snake and took the snake to the field, and he let him go. And his son asked his dad, said, Dad, why didn't you kill that snake? That snake bit you. And he said, son, the snake's nature is to bite. My nature is to forgive. Now, look, silly story, but at the end of the day, what he was telling his son was, I'm not going to allow the nature of someone else to determine my nature. So, so I know you're waiting for your wife to be better to you, for you to be better to her. I know you're waiting for your husband to finally look in your eyes and make you feel like a princess in order for you to respect him. But, but, but the Bible doesn't teach like that. The Bible teaches you, you should have integrity and justice. You should be a man of God independent of how people treat you. You should be a woman of God independent of how people treat you. And I wish that I could give you a better way to say it, but there's just no other way to say it. You should be you regardless of the circumstance. Micah chapter 8 says it like the 6 says, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? He, he, he desires and requires, he, it's a requirement to act justly. You need to live like someone is watching because someone is. Number three, 
That's good. That's good, Pastor. Amen. All right. Uh, Loving kindness, this is the ability to give grace. Loving kindness there in the Hebrew is kased. It meant this, to have grace. This is literally a great translation. Grace to accomplish covenant. <laughs> How much grace, Pastor? At some point, grace runs out. Um, it was actually written in a way that said boundless grace to accomplish covenant. There was no, like, end to it. You know what grace is? Grace is giving your spouse what they don't deserve. So, you know, I'll have people in my office be like, let me tell you what they did. They don't deserve it. I'm like, mm. are you trying to do this forever? Well, yeah. You might need to give them grace. But they don't deserve it. Exactly. But they didn't earn it. Exactly. But they don't deserve it. They, they, come on, Pat. You don't know what happened. You weren't there. No, I know. I, I know. That's the whole point. It should cost you something. Grace costs God everything. It should cost you something. Come on. There, there is a boundless grace. I just, great, healthy marriages are just built like that. It's almost gross. It's like I'll, I'll see these marriages that are like amazing, and I'm like, don't you like? Don't you get frustrated with? Come on, like right. Like, don't you just get frustrated with them? I've asked some people this. I'm like, I've talked to them. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And they're like, oh, gosh, she makes me mad all the time. I just give her grace. It's all good. I'm like, but I don't, I don't want to live like that. But, but God asks us to do that. It's the golden rule, right? Matthew chapter 7. Everything you do, do to, do to others, your spouse, what you would have them do to you. The biggest reason you might need to give grace is because you desperately need it. Number four, uh, mercy. Uh, this is mercy. This is interesting. This is an ability to have self-control. So if grace was, not, was giving them something they don't deserve, mercy is the opposite. Grace and mercy are not the same thing. Mercy is not giving your spouse what they do deserve. Hello. So then it's like, now i got to have some level of self-control. You need to watch your mouth. Seriously, like, we need to. We be careful. I like what James chapter 2 says. He says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Ouch. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Oh, no. I don't like that verse. I scribbled that one out of my Bible. That ain't even in my Bible. I found it in another Bible, and I realized, oh, man. You know, you ever read the Bible, and you're like, I wish. Come on, God. At some point, you need to be like, give them the business. You know what I'm saying? When they don't do something right, um, it, it's, not, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. You need to take fairness out of your vocabulary. Mature people never, hear me, I never, and I rarely use the word never and always, right? Mature people never use this word. That wasn't fair. Fairness died in the garden. Relationships are messy and complicated. We need to grow up. You don't want it fair. If it was fair, we would be walking around talking about we wish it was unfair. See, human nature. And, and mercy allows us to have self-control to where we're going, it's not fair, 
that they're doing this, but I'm going to give them mercy. I should tell them off right now. I should throw that pan at his head. So when, when, she, uh, when she burns dinner, when he forgets to pick up your dry cleaning, when the clothes don't get into the hamper, but next to the hamper, when, 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 when she, she forgot to do what she told you she was going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you just a couple things to say. It's all good. You, you, take, you take yourself too seriously. You need to let it go. No, you don't understand. It's about me. It's a shot at me. And why doesn't she do this for me? I'm like, come on, come on. You ain't going to be married long to nobody with that. If you're trying to do it for covenant, now listen, here's what's funny. If you don't want to be married for a long time, don't do any of this. But I just know that this kind of stuff happens. So there is no, um, we just need a lift. Lift, just take it off of you. We're talking about the interpretation, the yoke of God, right? Number five is this, finally, faithfulness, an ability to believe the best. This is so critical in a marriage and a relationship that's going to last forever. If you're single in here, you need to be writing this stuff down being like, I'm looking for this in a mate. Like, you start off with this on your second or third date. Maybe not the first one, but maybe the second or third one. Let me just tell you what I'm looking for, because this is what I'm trying to be. Does this value, do you value this? But the ability to believe the best. It's faithfulness is, uh, the, the Hebrew is imunah, means steadfastness, fidelity, or faithful. It's like I'm going to choose to believe the best in every situation. Um, I'm going to have a, a, a funny moment with you guys, if that's okay. Okay, I'm going to illustrate this, and I'm done. Um, every relationship gives you an opportunity to misread the situation. Because I've noticed with humans, they always leave out important parts. So you are left to interpret what they meant. Come on, married people. Can I get an Amen. Like when they, when they come home and he's like, can you just make me some dinner? Now, he forgot some things. You're right. He forgot to say, hey, honey, how was your day? He forgot to, to, to word it. He forgot some, there's some things were left out in the process. And you can read it one of two ways. You can read it, that guy has no respect for me, hates me and hates my life and hates everything and he's never going to change and God's just going to, I don't know why God's torturing me with this. This is just my lot in life. This dude's the worst. He's a loser. He's a mayor. I don't know why I got married to him. I don't know why I married you. I should have never listened to you. Should have listened to my mother. She was right. As you're walking to your room screaming. Or you can believe the best. It's like a, a sentence without punctuation. We're going to have some fun today. You already have some fun. This is what life's like with relationships. Number one, I'll give you just a couple of them. This is fun. So like when you read this, I want you to read this. Most of the time, travelers worry about their luggage. How many of y'all read that? Most of the time, travelers worry about their luggage. Anybody read it like that? So what is it missing? It's missing a comma. It's missing a punctuation. We'll get, let's do another one. Let's do, uh, this is relationships. We're going to go to learn to cut and paste kids. Right? What's it missing? It's missing a comma and punctuation. It's missing something. Something was said, 
Come on, and you read it how you want, right? Uh, let's do one more. We'll have some fun. Let's see, Grandpa. But it's missing a punctuation, right? It's missing a comma. It should say, let's eat grandpa. There you go. So it's like, we're not going to eat grandpa. We're going to go eat with grandpa. And how you read that determines what you get from it. And so in your relationship, she's going to act crazy sometimes. She's not going to respect you like you should be respected because you a man. And you can read that moment because she forgot something. It's not that it's not important, but come on, right? You could just believe the best. I can believe the best about that sentence. Somebody texts you that, right? Come on. You're like, they didn't mean. What do you normally say when you believe somebody and you believe the best? They didn't. What do you say? You say that sentence. They didn't, they didn't believe that. They didn't mean that. I be, I'm, they didn't mean that. You, let me just give you one better. As your pastor, I'm going to say some stuff up here that's going to confuse and make you frustrated. I'm asking you to be faithful and believe the best about me. He didn't mean that. Come on, right? Great relationships are built with that. They're built with you saying they didn't, they didn't mean that. I'm believing the best. They are good people. He had a bad day. She's just frustrated. It's not about me. God's good. I'm control. I'm covered. It's all good. It's going to work out, right? Like we just, it's faithful. Love is blind. Science will prove that. It is. They did a study. I'm done. They did a study. Um, uh, this, this research lab did a study of like um, 100 really happy, healthy couples. And they, they were talking about this idea that like there's this weird illusion that they all live in. They all believe that. And what they were talking about is believing the best about their spouse. I want to read this to you. It says, a spouse's positive illusion, illusion, created an upward spiral of love. The illusions give conviction. The conviction leads to security. The security fosters intimacy and the intimacy reinforces love. These positive illusions weave their strength into the fabric of relationship until they actually become the relationship. They make themselves come true. So it's like what they were saying is, is the best couples know how to believe the best until it is the best. Be because you're going to have to look past a moment with your spouse because they are a human being and she is not perfect. And he is not perfect. And it's easy to say that. It's a whole lot harder to live with someone who isn't. And so here's my last thought. When something bad happens, when you see a sentence without punctuation in your relationship, you find the most generous explanation for their behavior, and you believe it. Just give them all that you can. They didn't mean that. It's all good. I love you anyway. Oh, honey, it's going to work out. I, it's not about me. Trust me, it's not about you. It doesn't always have to be. Don't make it about you. Sometimes it's other things.